This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Hi, and welcome to another great show at Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Michelle Lux. Today's guest is Jane Downey. She's an internationally known risk management consultant and insurance industry expert. Her specialty industries include manufacturing, financial institutions, and technology risks. Jane, thank you so much for joining us. Please share a little bit more about yourself. Uh, Hello, Michelle. I'm in the Philadelphia area. I'm a graduate of Temple University's uh, Fox School of Business. I have a degree in risk management and insurance. I've served as a faculty at Temple. I've served as faculty at Penn State. I started my career in risk management, basically doing procurement of insurance and segued into consulting a very long time ago. And as a consultant, I've been building a practice in in insurance expert witness. Uh, I just got trained and certified as an arbitrator uh, with uh, Arius, which is a US uh, arbitration uh, for insurance group, which I'm very proud of. And uh, the expert work is going gangbusters. I do work in insurer bad faith, broker uh, errors and omissions, a risk management standard, even some safety protocols, and uh, and then coverage. And also, I'm I'm seeing a number of um, projects in uh, premium disputes. Uh, how uh, premium is being calculated. Uh, development factors in um, collateral agreements and um, things like that. So I'm uh, happy to say um, I'm very busy. Is it, Do you handle residential or commercial? I do both residential and commercial. Um, I just successfully had, I literally had a, a case resolved the day my report came out uh, where a claim had been denied uh, by a very well-known uh, homeowners insurer, I tend to see uh, either denials or um, disputes over whether it's really not the insurance carrier, it's whether the broker got involved in creating values and whether and when an insured finds himself underinsured. So I'm seeing a lot of under insurance cases. And the insurance industry is built so that it's priced so that you're supposed to be purchasing full value. So 100% replacement cost. A lot of people don't know what replacement cost actually is because it's, it's not on your books. Um, it's, not in your, it's not in your bank balance. It's not in your Quicken. It's literally what would a contract cost, what would a contractor charge to rebuild your house down to every last nail? So it's a very common source of dispute. And I've, I've seen a lot of them. Sure. Well, do you have, um, for instance, some interesting stories in, in testimony or deposition where the case might have changed direction than what you thought it would be based on your report or outside the report? Well, I got two funny stories regarding testimony. One was a deposition against three different parties. It was a very rough deposition. And the one attorney says to me, well, Jane, you know, you were never, uh, you never worked for an insurance carrier. And I said, well, actually, I worked for a subsidiary of what is now FM Global. And he said, 
well, Jane, did they issue you a paycheck? And I said, no, sir, they issued me a pension. <laughs> so, so I cleared that hurdle. And then the funniest thing was the another opposing counsel happens to mention at break that, that he grew up in Meadowbrook, which is a little tiny little piece of a larger township in, in the eastern suburbs of Philadelphia. And I said, oh, I'm from Meadowbrook. And he says, where did you live? And I told him, and he goes, oh, you were two, two doors down from Mrs. Pickard. And I said, yeah, you don't want to know what Dougie Pickard said to me at the bus stop in first grade. And he said, Mrs. Pickard brought a bottle of gin to my mother every two weeks because she was disabled. And the other attorneys are looking at him like, stop talking to her. And it turns out we went to the same grade school. And I'm telling you, the whole, the whole manner of that day changed. You know, my, my master's degree, I should have mentioned, is in group dynamics. And so I'm very skilled at how do you change the dynamics of a room? So on that story, I was testifying in Philadelphia County, which is a hard, in defense, very hard to defend in Philadelphia County. And I told counsel, I said, you know, they're going to say I'm not an insurance expert because I have this master's degree in group dynamics. And, you know, he says, obviously, Jane, you're an expert. You've got this, you've got that. We'll just, you know. So opposing counsel comes up to me, tries to impeach me. And he says, what's this master's degree you have? And I said, well, I call it group dynamics. And he says, what's it really called? And I, I said, it's called psychoeducational processes. And, and the judge looks at me and he goes, what's that? And I looked at him and I swept the whole room and I said, your honor, we take a group of people, we put them in a room and we watch what happens. And he says, well, that's what we're doing here. Counsel, move on. That's perfect. I love that one. That's great. How did you start out as an expert witness? Like what was your first opening to that or exposure? Well, interestingly, the first one this is a very interesting story actually. Well, I was sworn to secrecy at the time, but this is not news now. Um, what happened is, is the General Accounting Office, which is basically the US government, was looking for bids from pharmaceutical companies to make smallpox vaccines. It's very hush-hush back in the day, right? Because smallpox was supposed to be dead and you know the government wasn't involved in vaccines. I mean, very different today. And what happened is, is this one very shrewd broker locked up the entire pharmaceutical products liability market. So they looked like they were the winner of the bid because they had an insurance package, even though it was all bogus. So I was brought in to discuss the fact that any pharmaceutical carrier is going to go to that group of insurance carriers to get this kind of coverage. And what I didn't like about it is I didn't know this, but when you protest a GAO, a general accounting office bid, you only have 36 hours. So I was never taught. This is one of my, one of my lessons that I'm repeating today. I was not told, Jane, you need to be tethered to your friend. This is, this is 20 plus years ago when you didn't have your cell phone, you didn't have your laptop. You, know, you needed to be sitting at your desk with your hardwired phone for someone to get in touch with you. And they didn't, 
and believe it or not, my, 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 I think I had a power outage <laughs> and I had no, I had no coverage and it, it was just extremely stressful, which brings me to today. I have recently just changed my retainer agreement and it says, if you give me less than 14 days notice on a deliverable, my rate is going up $50 an hour. So I just had someone who didn't want me to finish the report because they were trying to negotiate. Well, the other side played hardball, said, nope, your report is due in three days, right? All of a sudden I'm in stress, not my fault. Then I had another case where they gave me 14 days, told me to deliver on a Monday, did not give me edits until Thursday. So going forward, there's gonna be an email that goes out with the, with the edit, with my version that says, folks, if I don't have your edits by 5 p.m. tomorrow, my rate's going up $50 an hour. Simple as that. Like, I can't believe they showed up four days after I met their deliverable. And it's interesting because a colleague of mine who's general counsel for an insurance carrier said, mm, yeah, I don't like that law firm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, now you tell me, right? Now you, now you. So now I'm also, there's certain, there's the, the law firms have personalities. So you, you start to get the rhythm as to how they work and how you need to manage you know, it's sort of like being a parent, right? You need to, you need to manage how the process is going to go, or you're going to end up with with an issue. The other major issue, and it was not with this law firm, thank goodness, but one of the problems I've had is an attorney wanting to actually stick their hands into my report and make their own edits. And as my my colleague, I'll give him a shout out. Uh, he was there that day I testified in court. John Campbell of Cipriani and Werner says, yeah, Jane, when you get on the stand and they say, is this your opinion? You'll say, well, the first version was. Meaning you can't be, and I literally had somebody from, I think it's from Montana, literally rewrote my entire report. And I said, well, then I have to rewrite it again. I have to rewrite it so that when I get on the stand, this is my word. These are my words. This is my opinion. He didn't change my opinion, actually, but he changed. He put it in a in a format that just wasn't my voice. So what I'm what I'm learning is there's a lot of uh, um, the, the, you really have to stand your ground. You need to have a strong personality. You need to know where the boundaries lie and you need to be very, very careful that you're not contradicting an opinion you made last last month because attorneys will push you to do that. And you really have to say, well, I can, I can support you here, but I can't, I can't go, I cannot cross a certain line. And it also depends, the other most important thing with, um, well, well, with a lot of it, with both the broker errors and emissions claims and the insurance uh, bad faith claims, it's really state by state. So what an insurance carrier can do in New Jersey is very different from what they can do in Pennsylvania or New York. So it's also important that you know state law, even though I'm not an attorney. Sure, like how much like back, back like I mean, you said you had 20 plus years, right, as an expert witness. Um, but my insurance career is like 35 years. Okay, 
And then, and then I'm assuming then like if you're pulled in from California or Florida or, you know, Pennsylvania or wherever, like how long does it take you to get up to speed on those different laws? I mean, is it, is it just trial by fire trying to figure that out? Or do you have colleagues or mentors that help you out? Uh, I do have colleagues and, um, Actually, I'll, I, I'm actually not a member, but I've been searching their member database today because uh, I'm looking for, I've actually been assigned as an arbitrator, which means I'm not allowed to be the expert. So I got to find somebody to do what I would normally do. And it's called the American Association of Insurance Managers. And they have a whole database. So one of my colleagues who belongs to that group actually gave me of uh, 50, I think it was published by Swiss Re, a uh, state-by-state um, discussion of the, the laws on broker liability. So it's actually not that hard. And usually, um, you know, you're, I'm usually engaged by an attorney. And especially when it comes to bad faith, um, you know, insurance carriers not paying claims, that attorney should actually know the law. So that it should be pretty easy to get up to speed. Um, and it's it's usually either one way or the other. Either it's very easy to get a bad faith punitives decision like it is in Pennsylvania, or it's not. It's very hard to get one in New Jersey. So this is often, you know, when I'm interviewing, uh, obviously I'm not taking a, I personally don't take a case unless I can support it. Um, the first thing I'm asking is what's what's the issue, what which state law is going to apply, and I've got an interesting one right now where the broker was out of Illinois, the risk is out of Pennsylvania, but I'm like we need to be looking at Ill, you know, so I basically gave counsel an assignment and said you I need you to go research Illinois law because <clears throat> we may we may like that law better depending on um, what the issue is. Sure. No, that makes sense. And then tell me about, let's see, um, we talked about how you started and some of the, the more interesting cases that you've had. Oh, well, I should tell you that the first case, so after that general accounting office, that was so stressful. I wasn't interested in expert work, not interested. Well, somebody called the Insurance Society of Philadelphia looking for an expert and my name came up and I was I got to work with like the most amazing team. It was a very complicated case. It was all about what, whether, you know, it was valued at um, replacing it with a warehouse, building it brick to brick. It turns out there had been an inspection that had been done and there was a valuation that had never been sent to the insured. So they really wet my, they got me interested in, in, in the work. And then I've been building it ever since. So I, I work uh, for your organization. I, I take different ads out. Um, it's interesting. I've got one group uh, that's a paid referral source. Never used them. They convinced me to take a case. I've now gotten like three cases from them. So, um, and a lot, of it's, a lot of it's word of mouth. Like once you're into a law firm, you know, the, someone will send a note out to partners and they'll, they'll refer me out. So there's certain law firms that, that will, will you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of, not all my time, but a lot, uh, quite a bit of time. With. Sure. One, one of the things I did to market my own work is um, I went through all my cases and all my contacts. 
and I put together a list of, believe it or not, it's over 125 attorneys that I've worked with in some way or some relationship. And so I now have a marketing database. So I'll be emailing them to let them know I just got certified as an arbitrator. The good news is I've been so busy <laughs> arbitrating, I haven't had time to do that email yet. It sounds like you haven't slowed down at all, even with COVID happening. Have you seen a change of pace, though, on the type of cases that you're being referred to or anything else that might we have to adapt? Well, interesting. That's a good, really good question. Literally, the first, I've had a client for 25 years, a long-term risk management client who sends me a paycheck every month. It's such a luxury, I can't even begin to tell you. And I found out uh, the week of the shutdown that I might lose that account. It was pretty, it was pretty upsetting. So I started to pivot and I started looking at jobs. I applied for a faculty position at Temple. I was trying to look at jobs that would allow me to keep my consulting practice. And it, some of it was just pure luck. I think it, well, I don't wanna call it luck. I think I had reached critical mass where all of a sudden these people, the referrals were just starting to come in. So I actually, my expert work grew a lot in COVID. And what ultimately happened, and this was not a US decision, my, my US uh, general counsel and, and finance teams, if they ever listen to this, I know you supported me tremendously. Uh, they have an overseas parent who doesn't understand what I do. And uh, the broker's buried, actually, because I am no longer um, babysitting. And I'm making more money, and I'm less stressed out. So how about that? <laughs> so, oh, I should mention, though, getting the ARIAS certification, that was one of my clear, it was a big investment of time and money. It was a clear uh, decision on my part to pivot. And, and I think that's really going to pay off. I was just at the National conference uh, presenting actually for the third time in the last year. Um, they're also doing certification for mediators, which I'm already trained for because of my group dynamics degree. So we'll see, uh, we'll see where, where, where all this leads. But at the moment, I'm fortunate enough, I'm, I have to manage what I'm accepting right now. That's wonderful. Or figure out there's some other things I'm trying to figure out is there's some ways to um, scale my business so that there's certain things I'm not handling. Sure. Like billing, you know, billing. And my problem is I also have a master, not a master's, but I also have an undergrad degree in accounting. <laughs> so I'm like, I used to be a bookkeeper. By the time, I'm like, by the time I train a bookkeeper, I could have this done. But that, that's kind of where I have to start thinking. Can you share with me how you promote yourself as an expert witness? One of, the, one of the things that I was fortunate enough, I actually just got licensed with Pacific Life. Um, they put me through some LinkedIn and social media training. And they made me, they helped me take a look at how does my LinkedIn page appear and how important that is and how important it is to be posting articles. And like, I need to post the fact that I got certified as an arbitrator. And so I didn't even realize how my LinkedIn page appeared to somebody like you who might've been coming to look at. So I went and got a new professional headshot. Um, I went to Canva and did a new um, uh, look for, for LinkedIn. 
And now I'm, I'm building a new website. And the trouble I'm having is I have more than one um, business. I'm not only a risk expert, I'm also a leadership coach. And I'm having trouble answering those questions. Do you, why do you want to work with me? Is it, is it A or B or both? So I'm, 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 they keep, they keep, I keep paying them and I haven't filled out this paperwork yet because, because they want a call to action. So that's what that, that's what I, that's kind of my message is you want, you want to give people a call to action, why they want to work with you. Um, you know, maybe I'll offer a, a, a one hour review of your, you know, large corporate insurance program. I don't know yet. So sure. that's like the. You got to keep doing, you know, that's the whole, unfortunately I was trained in sales um, because I was a broker. You know, you, you still got to keep working on, even, even when you're doing well, marketing, networking, you know, how to, how to stay in touch, how to, how to tell your story. Um, you know, and, and Arias, the, the new organization offers me a mentor at the same time, I met someone at the conference two weeks ago. I think I'm going to reach out to her and ask her to be my mentor. Like, why don't I pick the person that I, you know, I, I, I'm entering into my very first arbitration. And if I could just get her to commit to maybe three 15-minute phone calls over the next two weeks, um, I, think, I think everyone will be much happier with, with how we, we work together. I think that's a great way, Jane, too, to end it. I mean, it's always about being adaptable and changing with the times. And I wish you, gosh, it sounds like you're on an exciting path with the arbitration and everything else. So congratulations on that, too. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 